Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you ride with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show Today I am having on one of my favorite guests of all time. That is Isaac Morehouse. He happens to be the founder of the Daily Job Hunt, which also happens to be a sponsor of this show. But I want you to keep in mind that I had him scheduled to come on this show before he ever became a sponsor. So these these ad reads are not at all contrived or bought in the sense that I wouldn't have been pushing this product regardless because I think the world of this guy, I think that he is... Uh, a true propagator of the future that we want to see in the world. And I hope that you guys will be as impressed with him as I was after getting to talk to him and, uh, and feel, you know, compelled to support his, his products, his business enterprises that he's pushing. Cause I, I think he's really making a huge difference. So please go to the, uh, the daily job hunt will be the newsletter that comes to your email. Go to crash.co backslash daily to sign up. It is free. All it is is a daily newsletter that gives you some inspiration. I think after you listen to this episode, you'll exactly understand what it's all about and the spirit with which it's coming to you. And I think that you will be filled with that spirit and go out and create the world that we want to see. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. Got another special guest with me today because that's what I do here. I've been waiting to talk to this man. I discovered him with his interview with Vin Armani. He has now been so kind as to be a, a sponsor of the show as well. Isaac Morehouse, welcome in. Uh, Clint, man, it's awesome to be here. I, I got to ask you, is that you spitting bars on your intro? <laughs> that is me, if you can believe it. Dude, who knew? Who knew, man? <laughs> well, uh, I guess it's, it's, my, it's my hidden talent um, amongst, amongst being a, an entrepreneur and a liberty heathen. I am also a white rapper. Who would have who thought? Oh, oh my gosh. I love it. Uh, we gotta, I mean, we gotta get, when's the album going to drop? You know, <laughs> I, I actually have Neocon remover working on a, a new beat for me. I'm going to make a new track for season two. Uh, honestly, I never thought of myself as being that good at rapping, but people seem to enjoy the, uh, the intro enough that I'm starting to think, Hey, maybe I could do something with this. I mean, not, not career wise, but in terms of like helping to promote the show and things like that. And now that I've, I've seen, like I've had Patriot J on, which is this guy who's kind of a conservative rapper. Um, and I see that there's like this little niche career yes. path, you know? So Dude, that's what I was just going to say. There's a great little book called uh, niche down. And, you know, we live in this era where you can, because the barriers to entry are so low, you can make, I mean, a living or just uh, have some fun building audience on incredibly niche stuff, almost like the, the more niche, the intersection of two skills, the better. Right. So right. like, um, like I saw some YouTube channels, like a blacksmith YouTube channel. And you think about those two skill sets, you could be like a pretty decent blacksmith and a pretty decent video person right. and be the best video blacksmith in the world. Right. And it's like a yep. small niche or like, you know, people that paddle out on a kayak and then go do yoga, yoga, kayaking, right? You could be <laughs> mediocre at both and be the yoga kayaking guru. And it's so like libertarian hip hop. It's a small field. You know what I'm saying? You I, there's only, there's only like three competitors. So uh, <laughs> I've only got to be better than three people. That's, I, I think I might be able to pull it off. 
Uh, no, I agree, man. That that is that is kind of the the cool part of of this current economic environment is that because there's this this new crossover into technology, which people like people are either usually good at tech or they're good at something else. And and like if you can be okay at tech but really good at something else, you can all of a sudden be you know the best in that arena. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I found that out with the show is that like, even though I'm just a guy Dude. talking into a mic, you know, no, you're, you're beasting it out though. Like you're a machine, <laughs> you're, you're actually producing on a consistent basis. You're going and hunting down guests, you're getting them, you're putting them out there. And like, that's what it is. Just consistent production. So I love it. I, I was so excited. I, I poured a glass of whiskey for this. Hell interview. yeah. One of those interviews, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, um, so let's let's go into a little bit of your background for those that don't know you. What what is I, I also I don't know what's what's public of your entrepreneurial exploits. So I wanted to allow you to just explain. Yeah, it's pretty much all public. I'm a I'm a, an open okay. book. Um, so I've, I started a company in 2013 called Praxis, which is still going. It's a it's a college alternative. Um, you know, and that basically sprung out of uh, my hatred for the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to, uh, I'm on a lifelong mission to, to undermine it and end it, uh, or go as far as I can in that direction. Right. And, um, you know, I, I, I spent most of my life since I was sort of brought kicking and screaming into first libertarianism and then the logical next step of anarchism in my late teens, you know, I've spent most of my life trying to live as free as I could, um, and to help others live free. And, and, you know, doing it in practice, like put like all my career moves have been based around trying to, you know, make the world a freer place and also continuing to study the theory of like, how does the world actually change? How does social change actually work? And what led me to launch Praxis was kind of the combination of career trajectory. I worked in the like professional libertarian scene, you know, like nonprofits, think tanks and things. Uh, I worked at the Institute for Humane Studies. I worked at the Mackinac Center, which is a, a state-based free market think tank in Michigan uh, before that. Um, and I was kind of in and around that whole scene. And I just learned from being in the, in the trenches, just like I learned before that from going into politics first and realizing, holy shit, politics is not the way that social change works. It's the, it's the last, in a, it's a lagging indicator of bigger changes. Uh, but yeah. not only that, you'll lose your soul in the process. Um, <laughs> But in the, in the sort of nonprofit world, I was like, I just sort of understood, realized that people's beliefs, which are the ultimate binding constraint on the world that we live in, it's, it's what people believe, right? It's, we, we don't get the government that people want, but we do get the government people will tolerate. Mm-hmm. So the, the ultimate binding constraint on what governments can get away with is what people will put up with. And how to change those beliefs, you know, I had spent a decade kind of okay, it's not politics. It's the world of ideas and think tanks and all this stuff. And I was running these programs, raising money to run these programs. And I had this kind of like pyramidal scheme in my head of like, you know, which is from Hayek. It's from the intellectuals and socialism, a short essay by Hayek. You know, these ideas sort of flow down and then people get them and buy by secondhand dealers. And then, you know, uh, you know, ideas about property rights that started with John Locke, eventually people, they're, they're popularly adopted, even though people don't know they're from John Locke, they sort of changed the zeitgeist and the beliefs. And I started to realize that was like one small part of how beliefs get formed was through ideas and through direct education or argument or exposure to concepts. The vast majority of beliefs are shaped through experience. Mm. And so I just, I realized like, you know, 
education is one area of uh, state indoctrination propaganda that I'm very keen on because I feel like people who have experienced freedom are going to get really pissed when you try to take it away from them. People who have been conditioned into a state of non-freedom, it's going to seem normal to them. So think about the schooling system from the bottom up. I mean, you literally have to ask permission from a moron to go to the bathroom, right? Like you grow up with that being considered normal. Good luck getting that person to be passionate in defending their freedom. So, so education is this area I'm passionate about. And I thought you can't, you can just tell people till you're blue in the face that they ought to reform education or higher education or homeschool their kids, whatever. How about you offer them an alternative, right? How about you create one and say, Hey, forget about college. I mean, this was, this was my idea. My idea was like, look, you literally don't need to go to college to get a career. In fact, in almost every career, except for where it's legally mandated, it's going to set you back. If, mm-hmm. if you go and if you really care about getting your career started, I think I can offer a better alternative. And if I build that and it's clear, oh, you can go get a career without college, better this way, better, cheaper, faster. Well, then what's the point of high school, right? Because the point of high school is to get into a good college. Well, then if you don't really need to get into a good college to get a career, well, why are you in high school? And if you don't need to go to high school, right? And like, it sort of reveals the whole facade for what it is. It's just social conditioning. And if you can build a better life without it, you don't ever have to convert to be a libertarian or change your ideology explicitly. But if you understand that it's going to benefit me to behave in this way, wow, this college alternative is actually better than college. It gets me more of what I want, right? That's how you kind of undermine these, these institutions. Anyway, Instead of converting, it's a really long, long, convoluted story, but that's what led me to praxis. Go ahead. And instead of converting, you are building libertarians from birth, almost. You know, you're yes, you are you are molding them into radical, freedom-oriented people, and that I think that's why so many libertarians are so pro homeschooling is because we get that we understand that once you are indoctr- indoctrinated for not just twelve or sixteen years. But the most formative years of your existence, the ones where your brain is actually molding into what you're going to be, it's almost impossible, not, a, not almost impossible, it's very, very difficult to break someone from that mentality. And when, when you see 90 plus percent, probably 98 percent plus of people that are going to public schools, and, and then you see the fact that people are willing to accept lockdowns, the people that are willing to accept prohibition and drug laws, the people that are willing to accept the, the land of the free, having the highest percentage per capita of people that are in prison, it all starts to make sense. You're like, this isn't a fucking mystery, folks. Like they have been programmed to accept this stuff. So we have to prevent that programming from occurring. And for those that have been programmed, we have to obviously still try and reach them. And, and to your point about how showing them what freedom is and allowing them to experience it so that they embrace it internally. I think that blockchain technology and cryptocurrency has done more for libertarianism, uh, anarchism than any, any book, any thought, any concept you could ever come up with because they get to experience the beauty of it. And once you, once you go down that path, I mean, I know thousands of people that have, have gone from not libertarian to getting involved in cryptocurrency, making a ton of money, and then being like, okay, why? Why is this working? And as they kind of work backwards, they start to understand our worldview. It is very powerful. Yeah. Now that, I mean, I I remember there were several things that sort of led to this, you know, gradual progression, this change in my thinking about how, how to, how to most effectively make the world more free. But I'll never forget. I watched this movie. It was a documentary by uh, the Acton Institute, which is like a 
Catholic religious free market sort of institute. They had this, this uh, documentary called um, The Call of the Entrepreneur, I think. And there's a guy in there from Hong Kong and he's telling his story. He's a really, really successful like media mogul businessman. And he grew up in communist China and he was assigned as a child the job of being like a luggage porter at a train station. And he just believed everything he was told in school that the outside world is horrible, it's terrible, and communist China is utopia. And a businessman, a traveler from Hong Kong came one time and he carried his uh, luggage and the guy gave him a piece of chocolate as a tip. And he'd never seen chocolate before. He didn't know what it was. And the guy's like, you eat it. He said, I took a bite of it. And as he's telling the story as an adult, as an older man, he starts to cry. He says, I took a bite of it. And I didn't know anything about Hong Kong or capitalism or anything. All I knew when I tasted that chocolate was if that place is capable of making something that tastes this good, I have to go there. He literally <laughs> tasted freedom, right? Oh, like, that's so cool. Like there is a reason why the Soviet Union banned Marlboro cigarettes and blue jeans <laughs> and jazz music, right? They, they didn't just ban free market books by Milton Friedman. They also banned the products right. when you experience freedom, right? Once people have used Uber, they suddenly get mad when the government tries to ban it. They didn't give a shit about taxi cab cartels before that because it was all theoretical, you know? Yeah. So that, that was really big for me to see that and, um, you know, try to, try to create that. I mean, I grew up homeschooled myself. Right. And like, I just, I find it's like really foreign to me when people try to tell me what to do. That seems just stupid, right? And like, the more, the, the more experiences of freedom you have, the harder it's going to be I mean, to, to take that away, right? Like the, in a way, I think the internet's a great example. It's like the cat's out of the bag. The government would just love to, I mean, they're always, they've got their claws all over it. Don't get me wrong, but like to just take they're it trying. away, right? Yeah, like, but we're still doing this podcast. We're still, it's like people have tasted it and now you got to get really clever and subtle to try to take it away. You can't right. just take it. Whereas if we'd never, if the government had, never allow the internet out of the bag, so to speak, if there had been some way to stop it earlier, nobody would be clamoring for it. Nobody right. would be begging for it because we wouldn't know what we're missing, you know? Yep. Well, I, I just hosted uh, uh, Jeremy Kaufman, who's the creator of Library and, and Odyssey. So they, these are the types of innovations that are, to me, the biggest white pills that exist. I mean, it's yeah. like, because the reason I, I maintain hope in the face of what I think is a very daunting over-encompassing governmental system is the fact that we they can never keep up with us. They just simply can't. We they they operate in bureaucracy. This is like the beauty of capitalism and the beauty of entrepreneurialism is like we will create faster than they can fuck us up. Like that's just how it goes. And that's how it's always going to be. So uh, as long as as long as we stay positive and stay innovating and stay creative, we can basically outpace the tyranny. Uh, that doesn't mean that they won't also increase their pace as we increase. So like, it's going to be a battle, um, yep. but there is a tipping point at which, you know, the internet is too pervasive and, and these ideas are too pervasive and, and it just gets to, to a point that they can't, they can't stop it anymore. And I think that the internet's a good example. I think that blockchain is a good example. I think Uber and Lyft are great, great examples because they just told the, the local unions and local politicians to shove it. They're like, we're going to put this product out there. We're not going to ask permission. And then once people use it, they're going to lobby on our behalf. It was brilliant. It's like, it's like using populism to, 
to support your entrepreneurial capitalist enterprise. It's, it's amazing. And it's the type of shit, if I'm being totally honest, it's the type of shit that I have avoided in my, in my career, because I have always tried not to run afoul of regulators. I've, I've always tried to play by the, by the rules and by the book. And, and I think I've lost a lot of opportunities because of it, because I've just said, like, if you would mention what Uber was to me 15 years ago, and I think I actually talked to people about like these types of concepts. And I was like, you'd never be able to do it. The liability would be too high. The, the regulatory environment would be too, too stiff. There's too many people that lobby on behalf of the taxi industry. It, good luck. They fucking did, did it. You, Clint, did you <laughs> grow up? I, I know I've heard you say that you grew up libertarian. Did you grow up with like a slightly conservative or constitutionalist or Ron Paulish sort of bent? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, that, that explains it because, and I did too, right? I grew up sort of conservative. We struggle with the myth of the rule of law, yes. right? We have this belief, well, there's a regulation that says you can't do this. I, that's too risky. Even if I think the regulation is immoral, I think it's really risky for my business to violate a regulation because it's law and law is this right. thing. You're either violating it or you're not. Right. But that's actually a myth. That's not at all how it works. I mean, any accountant can tell you this, right? <laughs> like literally you can do the same person's tax return 10 times. You get 10 different results. There is no such thing as filing it correctly. And all <laughs> these laws are like this. It's like, the government enforcement and interpretation of laws is this constantly fluctuating thing that's based on their self-interest. So you take an Uber and a Lyft, they realize, whether intuitively or, or explicitly, okay, like where, where I used to live in Charleston, South Carolina, we're going to operate. And then the city's going to say, you're not allowed to operate. And they're going to, and, and then they just, Uber just told all the drivers, keep doing it. Every time you get a fine, we'll pay it. And right. they just kept paying these fines, paying these fines. And eventually the city realized, we just look stupid. We're losing political power and they're looking like the heroes and we're looking like the villains. So then they were just like, stop enforcing the law. And then the next phase, they eventually changed the law. But like, it's the law is what can government get away with? That's what the actual rule of law, it's the rule of, it's the rule of power. It always is. And what's written on a piece of paper is just some pretext, but you got, but you got to understand how to play the game, right? Because there are times where if you don't have any public sympathy or support, whatever is written on that law can crush you. So, so when I started Praxis, for example, my original business model was, I'm like, okay, I want, I think if I place people in startups to apprentice, they learn on the job for six months, they're going to come out way more valuable than if they paid money to go to school. So I'll have them do, it'll be a free apprenticeship. We'll, we'll place them with companies and the companies don't pay anything and they learn on the job. Well, it turns out this is illegal. Um, because of course it is, right? The Department of Labor <laughs> is protecting unions, whatever. It's illegal. They're literally, the way that it's worded, I can't remember verbatim now, but in the, in the law, it says something to the effect of, you can have unpaid workers if they contribute no value to the company and ideally if they detract from the value of the company. But, but, if, they, but if, they, if they're at all useful, you have to pay <laughs> money. And so like, so you're a young person, you think about how absurd this is. You can pay like $40,000 to sit in a classroom and not be allowed to work and not earn a dime, but it's illegal to go to you and say, Clint, I want to be your apprentice. I want to work for free and learn uh, how to do private money lending right. for six months. And it's like, no, that's illegal. But anyway, so I was faced with this conundrum. I was pissed off, right? Because I yeah. hate the state. And right. any, good, you know, any good libertarian goes through a huge phase where they spend more time being angry about the state than happy about liberty, right? And so yes. I was just like so I call up my brother and he's an entrepreneur and he's a, he's a, a little more uh, level-headed than I am a little less <laughs> prone to the passions. 
And I'm like, dude, they fucked me. They ruined my business. Model. This is my dream. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, he just started laughing. I'm like, what are you laughing about? He's like, this is the reason nobody else has done this yet. And it's exactly why you're going to have an advantage. You're going to figure out a way. There's always a way around it. There's always a way around it. And he just, he's like, it's a game. It's just a game. Figure out how to navigate it. Yeah. And just him telling me that and changing my mindset was like, oh, I don't have to be the victim and be disempowered and be angry at the state. Okay, let me get clever. So I had the option of just operating my business that way illegally, but I wanted to grow my business and I wanted to make a lot of noise in the press and, and get news coverage. And I thought that that brings more risk than I want. So instead I did something that it's like, it didn't occur to me until my brother helped me change my mindset out of that victimy mindset to like a playful mindset, which was really simple in retrospect. You, you pay to, because what we're going to do is the, the program was free. If you get in, we place you with a company, the company pays us and we give you a free apprentice. Instead, we made it so that the participants pay tuition. There's like 12 grand, but they earn about 14 grand. Oh, geez. What a workaround. So the same outcome. It's, <laughs> it's, still, it's a zero cost program, which was the goal. We want it to be zero cost to the end user. And we want the business to be the one paying. It's just a little bit more roundabout. They participant right. pays us, business pays them, right? Not that complicated, but I didn't see it. I couldn't see it because I was so angry. So Again, there's always ways to like, there's always some kind of way, whether it's through it, around it, under it, government puts a roadblock there, like get clever, get creative, you know? No, I love that. And, and that's the truth is like, if you're, if you're willing to basically like for, for my personal example, I, I was interested in getting involved in marijuana production when, when it was starting to be legalized in California. And I ended up not pursuing it because it was federally illegal. And I was like, I just don't want to deal with this. You know, like I, I think, I think my aversion to the state and to regulation and to government causes me to not take risks simply because I don't want to be upset constantly. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause it, I know it'll be such an emotional toll, toll on me to constantly be like, I have to file this fucking form with the government. Like, I don't even want to do it. You know, like I'm just, even though I can make money, I'm just not going to do it. Um, but and, and, it, and it'll blow your mind. I mean, you know, because you run a business like so I, I have a bookkeeper that I pay to to run stuff. And the main reason I pay her is not because my books are so complex that I like can't just do it on a right. spreadsheet most of the time. It's because and with Praxis, I had, uh, you know, we had like 15 employees um, in like eight different states because we've been all remote for for years. And so I would get mail like just reams and reams of mail like constantly from all these different states and sometimes even cities, most of the time it's just informational, no action item. It's just some weird bureaucratic announcement about some shit. But sometimes like the city of Pittsburgh, because I had an employee that lived there, in addition to the state of Pennsylvania, they would send you something. There was some tax you had to pay. And it was literally like a few dollars a quarter per employee. But they would send you like more than that in worth of mailing and, and paper <laughs> right. that they're sending out. And literally one of them says uh, every quarter you can send it in um, just, you know, physically on this piece of paper, but the fourth quarter you have to do a year end report of your tax, which was like five or $8 or something, but you are allowed to submit a digital copy on the fourth quarter. And when they said digital copy, it had an asterisk and you look at the bottom, I shit you not. It said, <laughs> in the form of a, of a CD-ROM you can send no in. <laughs> so like, I just get this kind of shit, you know, like all these different 
unemployment insurance <laughs> office. You know, they're sending you posters you're supposed to hang up in the workplace and we don't have a workplace and just this shit. And it just like makes me so angry. So I have uh. to, I got to just let somebody else deal with that or otherwise I'll, I'll, I'll lose my mind. No, that's, that's very smart. Um, yeah, but uh, to the to the marijuana story, I, I just I ended up not pursuing it because I didn't want to deal with that, whereas I probably could have made a killing and I could have used those resources to further the cause of freedom. I could have actually used those resources to perhaps contribute towards getting federal legalization and things like that. So I, I guess the, the reason I bring it up is just to say that um, oftentimes, particularly people of our ilk will be so averse to government regulation and things like that, that we will run away from it um, and pursue something that is less emotionally taxing just to, to avoid that process. And, and in the long run, that may not be beneficial to the cause. So I just want to encourage people to, um, yes. you know, just, just stick it out, you know, just try try and push that envelope because ultimately that's where the real progress is made. And, and I think that I have learned over the past 20 years, as we've had this ever burgeoning, you know, liberalization and legalization of, of industries that had been criminalized my entire childhood, is that these laws are temporary. Like any anything that we that we find morally reprehensible today can be and probably will be removed at some point in our lifetimes if we continue to stay on that grind. So um, just stay optimistic and stay positive. Well, keep producing. And that and that's. That's kind of the the libertarian intellectual trap that you can fall into. It's like, you know too much. You know right. how fucked up the state is. You know all the stories about organic milk getting confiscated. <laughs> right. you know, and like, and and you basically start to feel like, well, there's no business I can start because everything's taxed and regulated, whatever. And it's almost better to be ignorant in a way. Um, right. because you know, the way that most of these laws work, you can start pretty much anything and get away with it. If you're too small to be noticed or to be a threat to the state, you can get away with almost anything. If you get big enough, you can also get away with almost anything because you can right. either pay for the lawyers to comply or you can get <laughs> the law changed. It's that middle ground. So like if you start small and you stay small, you're fine. If you start small and you grow really fast, you're usually also fine. If you start small and you grow linearly and then the state starts to notice you, but you don't have the resources, that's when you get in the danger zone. So, <laughs> it's so but true. you can start, you can yeah. start. Either stay stay beneath the radar or go parabolic and get get above it so you can start to actually lobby on your behalf. That's so true, man. And that's exactly what Uber did. They they got to the point that they got so big so rapidly that they were like, okay, we're fine now. Um, yep. Whereas I'm sure there was lots of small competitors out there that grew slowly and they're like, no, no, slow and steady. And then they're toast, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah well, okay. So, so we've been bitching about the state. But can I bitch about libertarians for a minute? Of course. I, that's one of my favorite pastimes. So I want to bitch about professional libertarians. Yes, uh, let's go. Because this was my, you know, this was, so like I said, I started out any young person who's like, I want to make the world more free. Oh, politics, right? So I went and worked in the state legislature and I thought I was going to run for, you know, state representative and change the, you know, make the world more free that way. And I, and I learned, I, I got deep into studying public choice theory, which was really, really illuminating and, um, and saw how the sausage got made and realized it wasn't politics. So I go into the sort of libertarian think tank where there's this whole ecosystem that a lot of people don't even know about. A lot of libertarians don't even know about of think tanks and organizations uh, from the policy, education, activism, the whole span there's uh, free market think tanks in all 50 states. There's a network of them called SPN. There's a, you know, the Institute for Humane Studies, the Foundation for Economic Education, the Mercatus Center. There's Cato, of course. So 
I, I was working at the Mackinac Center in Michigan. I get a job in, in DC for the Institute for Humane Studies, which was one of my favorite organizations. I knew all about its history. I knew about Baldy Harper. I also love Fee. I knew about Leonard Reed. These old like badasses in the 50s, 60s, 70s that started these organizations because there was like eight libertarians in the country and they didn't know how to connect to each other. And they were, you know, connecting them and creating these pamphlets and all this stuff. It was really, really cool, right? And so I, I go and I'm working there, I'm running educational programs and I'm raising money, doing fundraising for uh, IHS, flying around the country, meeting with really wealthy libertarians, which was awesome, um, you know, self-made entrepreneurs. And, you know, we lived in DC for like two years. We hated it, my wife and I, we knew we were going to get out of there. So we just, we left, we moved out and I worked remotely. Uh, they didn't want me to, but I just said, I'm doing it anyway. Um, but, you know, like first, first was like, seeing the way people living in the sort of DC beltway libertarian scene, like behave is kind of just like this big, stupid social club, whatever. Okay. That's kind of a turnoff to me, whatever. What really got me was when I launched Praxis, I left IHS. I put everything on the line. I bootstrapped this thing. I, I put everything on my own credit card. I had no backup plan, had nothing. I was going from scratch and I'm coming out of the gate saying, you don't need to go to college. I'm going to get you a job at a startup. Let's do this fucking thing entrepreneurship, freedom, blah, 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 blah. All these libertarian professors who IHS's mission is to support and who I had raised millions of dollars to support and put them in educational programs and stuff. They started coming out and attacking me. They started calling me a scammer, a sham wow salesman. No way. They were like, well, you definitely need to go to college. Oh, this Isaac guy is trying to, he's trying to sell you something. He's making money off this. I'm like, yeah, I'm a fucking for-profit organization. I, right. I lose if I don't succeed. And, and that was this huge eye-opening moment for me. Like, cause I had looked up to a lot of these guys. I, I mean, to this day, they have a lot of good papers and a lot of good, you know, um, you know, quality economic theory. Sure. But I was like, oh shit. That's and like the more distance I got, the more I'm operating in the for-profit world and and not involved in think tank world and whatever, the more I became frustrated and disillusioned and almost almost ashamed that I ever raised money for some of these organizations of people. Cause I'm like, and when 2020 hit, that was when it was just like, holy shit. I mean, I knew these organizations were dinosaurs, but like literally the most useless, corrupt cowards imaginable. These professional libertarian organizations, the Cato Institute, the Mercantile, coming out with this nuanced bullshit. Well, there's a trade-off between a You literally had the entire fucking country locked in their homes like prisoners and tanks in some streets. And you're coming out and giving me some nuanced bullshit because you want to be relevant. You're not relevant. No one's heard of you in like, forever since the internet was invented your reason for existing stopped and here you are making excuses for the state like it literally just i think i just had to get that off my chest clint i don't know no, no, it, where, please i don't know what it connects to but it just <laughs> and here okay here here here's what here's what got me the whole theory behind being a nonprofit, right is it's the same as the theory behind tenure for professors hmm. well the market might might be too punishing to radical ideas that are outside of the, you know, beyond the pale to the public. So if we protect you from market forces, then you're going to be allowed to be more radical and more principled. So you can be this nonprofit think tank that donors fund so that you have the total freedom to be radical principled libertarians and not worried about getting fired from your job. Cause your full-time job is to go on the radio, to write for the New York times or write op-eds to, to publish stuff that, 
is radical because if normal people who worked at IBM or whatever did that, they would get fired. And so we'll create this place, all these rich donors. I can't do it. You know, these, a lot of these business owners are like, Hey, look, I can't do that all day. Cause I got a business to run and I you know, people would get pissed at me or whatever, but I want to donate money. So you'll be my voice for me. That's the theory. Yet when all this shit happened, who are the most cowardly people out there? Who are the most tepid mainstream line toting people out there? These fucking professional libertarians sheltered from the market with millions of dollars in these nonprofits, they're scared to be libertarian. And who's putting their neck out there? I, I run a company crash. I got mainstream investors. They're not libertarians. They're right. just tech investors. I, I have customers that are not at all libertarians. I'm just trying to help job seekers in general. And I'm out here being way more radical and putting <laughs> right. my neck out when I have shit to, to lose for yeah. doing it. Yeah. And, and I see other people everywhere doing it. I see fucking gym owners risking going to prison for this shit. And you got somebody whose job it is being paid millions of dollars going to organizations just so that they'll be radical and they're scared to be radical. And I'm just like, fuck, man, professional libertarianism is dead. It's a grassroots thing. And the internet freed it all up. That the reason these organizations existed was because libertarians didn't have a way to connect and get their message out once upon a time. So you had to create seminars and pamphlets and book publishing houses. That shit got solved by the internet and they just keep existing and sounding no different than mainstream everybody. Correct. No, I, I beautifully said, I, I, I think that's exactly why my show found success and, and yours as well is that it's like, I am going to rail against this as hard as humanly possible because this is the antithesis of my principles. And it has, it, it has nothing to do with, you know, what kind of economic damage it causes me or, or governmental or reputational damage. I'm like, I'm just going to do this because it's vitally necessary because I value freedom. Why is it, why is it though that you think the mainstream libertarians um, are incapable of being like us? I mean, given that it is their job, you would think, is it because they are too close to DC because they've rubbed elbows with status for too long? What is it? Yeah, I, I think that's primarily it. So this is something I noticed when I worked in the state capital when I was working in politics in, in Lansing, Michigan. I went in thinking that everybody's going to be ideological. You'd have conservatives battling out with libertarian or with others. And, you know, there was like one libertarian guy. Nobody's ideological. The politicians aren't, obvious aren't, the reporters aren't. They adopt ideology as rhetoric when necessary. And maybe some of them even think that they are. I remember meeting a, a staffer who worked for one of the most big government liberal state senators ever. And I walked in the office and I said, oh, there's Atlas Shrugged on the shelf. Whose is that? He's like, oh, that's mine. I'm a libertarian. He didn't see it. He was so in the system. He's like, yeah, well, as beliefs, I'm a libertarian. But in my day job, I just help get laws passed that are horrible and shitty, right? Like it's a social setting. And like- you don't want to be disliked. Who do you spend all your time with if you're in politics? The lobbyists and the reporters and whatever. Those are like your friends. You don't want to be the one who goes out there and talks shit about them constantly and then comes back and they all hate your guts. Nobody wants to hang around. Like imagine working your coworkers every day. You're out doing podcasts talking about how, by name, how they all suck. And then you come into work the next morning, right? Like you can't, you can't survive that. And so you eventually just do the things that will get you ahead within your group, or at least get you not hated. And I think the same thing happened. This is why, like, I think the Mises Institute has been more radical their way out in BFE, Alabama, or yeah, Alabama. I mean, I, I love that. I went to Mises University in like 2009. I think it was very smart for the Foundation of Economic Education to be, they're out in Atlanta. They're not in DC. They left the New York area. 
Um, I think that's given them a little bit better cultural perspective, but this desperation to be relevant, right? Like the Cato Institute is like proud that they're on K street with all the lawyers. I mean, with all the lobbyists and stuff uh, that they all wear suits and that they go to committee testimony and that they can get an article or an interview in the main newspapers. And when your goal is like to be relevant, to be in the room, to be part of the inner ring, there's a great essay by C.S. Lewis called the inner ring. I encourage everybody to look it up that like it has this inevitable effect where you don't want to be embarrassed at the cocktail party. You know, you're the people you're with all day long. You don't want them to think of you as irrelevant and crazy, right? Like, and there's usually only room for one of those. Like there's room for like one Ron Paul in Congress or whatever. That's like his colleagues hate him, but he's just kind of whatever. He does his thing. And you don't want to be that. You want to be like, oh, we're relevant, right? Being relevant, being considered respectable. We're, we're mainstream status people. They come to you and ask for their opinion. It just had such a huge pull to get people. I remember at IHS, we would, we would you know, the goal of IHS was at one point to kind of support the next generation of intellectuals, the next Ludwig von Mies Friedman. So to identify them when they're young and help them with scholarships and programs or whatever to get into, you know, become professors, become thought leaders. And I think there was two problems with the way that it manifested. One, their strategy was 100% wedded to a completely dying zombie institution called the university system, right? <laughs> right. So to them, the next intellectuals are all going to be professors. Mm. That's it, right? Like, Dan Carlin is more influential than every history professor put together. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they missed the boat on that one. I tried to tell them they don't want to, I was, I proposed a program want, so I quit and left and started praxis, but the university system is strategy. But the other thing is what we want to do is get intellectuals who are taken seriously within the academy. So we want to go to the best schools and to go to the best schools and to get your PhD, except you got you to write about things that the, you know, the other people in academia think are respectable. And it's almost like you have to be a closet libertarian for 15 years till you get tenure. And then all of a sudden you get to be radical. By the time you get there, you're not radical anymore anyway, because you're right. so conditioned to pleasing your colleagues, right? Yeah. So I think in academia and in like policy advocacy and stuff, it's just trying to be taken seriously. And, I, and I've heard you guys, I'm not up on this stuff, but I've heard you and some of these other, uh, Dave Smith and these guys talk about this in, with the Libertarian Party in the political realm. Like, you're the Libertarian Party. You won't get any brownie points for sounding similar to the other mainstream parties, right? No one's going to take you seriously. Be who you are. Just be right. radical and you can at least attract the people who like that shit. If you try to be like them, you'll just be a shittier version of them, right? Like, and I saw this libertarian organizations. I remember Students for Liberty was really big for a while. And then they kind of died. They basically killed themselves by trying to win over the left instead of like, for example, realizing that this ascending Jordan Peterson moment, all these angry young men who are excited about a, a message of personal responsibility they all end up going to Trump and becoming weird and whatever alt-right shit. Libertarians could have dominated that, but instead they were like, Jordan Peterson's not a good person. We're, we're going to bring pussy riot to our thing and we're going to be bleeding heart libertarians. And you're like, no matter what you do, the left will never accept you libertarians. They won't ever. Like that girl is never going to think you're cool no matter how much you simp for her. So get over it and be yourself 
right? Yes. Like be unapologetic, be unhyphenated. You're not bleeding heart libertarian, left libertarian. You're just libertarian. You just have the ideas of liberty, whether they're in season or out of season, whether they're popular or faddish or not, right? And like by desperately trying to please the left in the cultural moment when the left was ascendant, they completely missed the boat and allowed a guy who's not really libertarian, maybe sort of Jordan Peterson, capture all of these frustrated type people and, and take them in the other direction. Anyway, I'm rambling. I'm all over the place. No, please. But. And then, and then if you can identify that in hindsight, you and I probably identified that in the moment with lockdowns, you have this unbelievable opportunity to speak your genuine principles. You don't have to reframe it. You don't have to water it down. You just have to deliver the truth in that moment. And you would have had millions of people that go, the cons- Trump is allowing this lockdown. I don't support yes. this. The left yeah. is, is not just allowing it. They are fucking cheering for it. I don't support that. Who, who is there for me that is genuinely opposed to locking me in my house and making me wear a mask and making my kid wear a mask and you know driving my kid towards depression and potential suicide? Who is opposed to that? The LP didn't stand up and say, we are the party that's opposed to that. And, and I like, I'm not really interested in the LP success because ultimately I don't believe we'll get to a tipping point where we win elections, but they need to understand that if they are opposed to those concepts, if they are pro freedom and Liberty, they are a libertarian. Like if they could, if we could have just let them know that in that moment, it was the most just ripe opportunity for people to, to know in their, in their being that the parties don't represent them and that they are actually libertarian oriented and the LP Dude, look at look at this like failed. the like m- mainstream political governor of Florida is sucking up more liberty loving attention than any libertarian out there any official you know he's sucking up more attention than any republican i mean yeah right like, <laughs> because because crazy. this is the void that existed and and he was the only one that actually did it with with like gusto and yep even though many of his policies I don't even agree with, I have to appreciate it because he has talked more about liberty than the LP. And it's just just like the the number of people who are out there looking around saying, I can't be the only one that thinks this is kind of like a lot of bullshit. Like, exactly. Like I'm not really that scared of this (laughs) virus thing. Like lockdowns, mask, whatever. And when you go and you see the libertarian Cato Institute, and what do they have? They got some article about, you know, why the FDA could have faster, fast tracked. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck? They're like, why privatizing <laughs> elements of the FDA's review process could have saved 5% to taxpayers or some shit. You're like, there's literally people being imprisoned in their homes, for like nothing. And this is what you have to say. We should we should privatize the boot makers so that when the boot is on our neck, it's a nice soft leather. Like what the <laughs> fuck is going on here? You know? Yeah. And, the, and then they'll be like, they'll be like writing these, these deep think pieces about the economics behind the bailout bills with no real mention as to the fact that these lockdowns should have never happened. And these bailouts <laughs> wouldn't be necessary. And it's like, it's like, you are missing the root cause of this. This is your entire job is to just point out that this was, this was, immoral, unethical, tyrannical, un-American, whatever fucking name you want to put to it. It was unacceptable. It was, it was revolution worthy, in my opinion. And, yeah. and you're, you're over here arguing, 
oh, well, too, too little of the funds are going to the people from the bailout. I'm like, that's not the fucking point. <laughs> all of this money is ours. So like, what are you talking about? Like, none of this should be happening at all. And, and I'm just, I'm just like, Hey, we got to get back to, to the principle Dude. of Liberty. And, and you have to yeah, say with your chest and, and to your point about um, the government will get away with as much as we allow. That's what my whole war cry episode was about. It was like, we have to test our will against theirs, our resolve against theirs, yep. our beliefs against theirs and do it with genuine principle and fire and passion and show people that like, we are not the libertarians of old. We are not the milk toast center of the road, you know, get, go along to get along. We're going to, we're going to get on the debate stage and that'll show them. No, we create our own debate stage. We fucking, we have platforms that that'll get way more eyeballs or earballs than any fucking thing that you'll see on CNN. So what are we doing? Why are we playing yeah. this game anymore? Just stop, grow, stop trying. Grow a pair of, grow a pair of earballs. Yes. Um, okay. So, Here's the, here's the great uh <laughs> here's the great white pill here is like i vented a little bit thanks for letting me do that no that was, um, that was a blast pissed at all these you know whatever people sitting around raising money under the libertarian banner and doing nothing but here's the white pill right none of those places matter none of those old institutions dodgy they're, they're dinosaurs they're dead and individuals like the individual, the smallest unit, the most persecuted minority on earth, as Ayn Rand would say, has more power than ever at their fingertips. And you, uh, Dave Smith, uh, fucking Joe Rogan, to the extent that he's moderately libertarian, like there are more voices in more places and constantly they're, they're running around, they're getting chased out and getting deplatformed sometimes, but they're con it's a constant game of cat and mouse, right? More information about this stuff is out there than ever. And what, I, what gets me excited, and this is kind of, you know, why, why I launched Crash, um, you know, a couple of years ago, split off a of Praxis with the second company, is that I, I learned something. You don't even need to get people to really understand or care about libertarian arguments or ideas to get them on the path to demanding more freedom and to being advocates of freedom, or in the very least to being resistors to tyranny. There you go. Like when the, when the government comes knocking on my door to take me into a boxcar or some shit, I would trust somebody who has ever tried to start their own business to resist that more than someone who has been a professional libertarian think tanker. Um, because I understand what happens, the transformation that happens. And so with crash, it's like this little, like starts with the job hunt, the way you think about yourself in the market, understanding that all that matters is your ability to create value and your ability to prove it. And that you already have the ability to create value for somebody out there somewhere. It's actually not that hard. Like most people have some skills that are valued somewhere. And if you do a little research and figure out who values those, how do you prove it, right? Instead of just saying, I'm going to outsource that, I'll buy a degree and I'll trust the, the credential that I have, I'll put it on a resume and hope that it gets noticed. It's like, no, 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 no. Be your own credential. We constantly say, that. be your own credential, right? Build a signal that's better than some third party thing. And Go out there and, and take the driver's seat. Treat your job hunt like you are the one in control, that it's not up to fate. You're not blasting out your standard resume and hoping somebody likes it, mm -hmm. that you are hunting, you are finding people and you are sending something unique. And like once people get that and they have the light bulb moment, 
and they start treating their, something as simple as their job hunt that way, now the way they feel about the job that they work is much different. They're much more self-actualized. They feel like they're responsible and in control. They're more entrepreneurial. Now the way they look at the world, they're less of a victim. They're not just following the rules and hoping something shitty doesn't happen to them. Right. They see themselves as the motive force in their life. And once that transformation begins to happen from them taking action, then they start to get curious about the theories behind those actions sometimes. Then they start to want to read. Praxis participants would come in. They usually have to go through a de-schooling process of learning that this is not like school where you just check boxes and get a grade and they have to kind of be entrepreneurial. They have this mindset shift. Then they would start doing like weekly philosophy discussions with each other spontaneously. And they like sort of like, become libertarians without knowing the words and the phrases almost exactly. accidentally because they were living this way. They were, they were thinking like they were the owner of their own life. Yep. And so like, that's what excites me so much, helping people own and control more of their data with things like blockchain, more of their income with all the freelance and, and gig and entrepreneurial opportunities, their information, their own brand and, and footprint, what people can find when they Google about you. It's easier than ever to own these elements of you and not have to say, well, people will judge me based on where I was born or what my family name is or what my degree is. No, no, no. They'll judge me based on the things that I have deliberately created around myself, making people better self-owners starts to transform them already. And they don't need to, to, you know, get some lecture from some professional libertarian somewhere. They'll start to see it on their own. That's beautifully said. Go to crash.co backslash daily to sign up for more of this because that, that was a, an amazing pitch for it. I, I think that's exactly why your, your daily newsletter is so, um, so successful and so, so great, in my opinion, is that these are the types of messages that you are imparting with people is that you know, and, and I've said this many times on my show is, you know, I, I can I can give a very eloquent, you know, flowing, beautiful description of liberty and libertarianism and anarchism and all that. The truth is, I have changed more people in my regular life by being successful with these principles and these ideologies and this work ethic and this belief in myself than I could with words ever. You know, the fact that that I went out and I did something with these ideas and I showed that they worked. I I, I was a proof of case, you know, or proof of uh, work. I, yes. I, I demonstrated that these ideas work, that my my worldview works, that I can I can make better investment decisions because I understand Austrian economics. I can make a better entrepreneur because I understand the system. I can work through it or around it or over it or under it uh, like all of these ideas in in practice are what really changes people's hearts and minds because they look at me as a 38 year old guy who's kind of quasi retired and they go, what the fuck did he do? You know, like people, Dude. people will ask that question. And then, and then if they're my friends, they've already been around me long enough that they, they have kind of a semblance of idea. And then maybe they listen to an episode here or there. And all of a sudden they're hitting me up about anatomy of the state, you know, like this, this is how it works. So, so go out there and actually become a better person and you will actually impart these ideas into people that are that are surrounding you. And I think that that's been tremendously beneficial for me. And the more libertarians are out there, not just writing, but creating, doing, create, being the life that you claim is better. Um, you'll 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 have people gravitate towards you. Dude, let, let me let me bring it home, Clint. Can I bring it home? I Please. know we're on time. All right. So there's a there's a phenomenal talk. If, I think it's still on YouTube. Um, 
Leonard Reed, the founder of the Foundation of Economic Education, who was a total badass back in the day. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's in black and white and he's in this room and he's, and he's holding a can. He, he turns off all the lights. It's something about like libertarian leadership or something. I don't remember. He turns off all the lights and he lights this candle and he's like, can you see the candle? And everybody in the room is like, yeah. And he's like, it doesn't matter how much darkness there is in the room. Just one tiny light is visible everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's no amount of darkness that can quelch light, but the tiniest bit of light can overcome darkness. And he's like, live free, right? I I love Camus quote, live so free that your very existence is an act of rebellion. Uh, Live free yourself. And again, this is a very Christian idea as well, that like your light shines and people see that. It's not that they hear your words, it's that they see you living. And they're like, in, in, in uh, what is in Christianity, the, uh, you know, always be prepared with an answer when people ask for the reason for the hope that you have, right? And I think there's something like that for libertarians. Like we ought to be the most glowing, the most attractive, yes. the most, because we're living free and people can see it. There's a spark there. And they want, they want to know, they're curious about it. Not because we're beating them over the head with words, but because they see the way we're operating in the world. I remember growing up homeschooled, there are a lot of people that have come to me later and said, we ended up homeschooling because of your family. Because they, back in the day, it was like, well, I'm worried about social skills. And we were just, we were probably, if, if anything, we were too social. Like we didn't spend <laughs> enough time doing, you know, academic subjects. My mom was always talking to me. We were doing all kinds of social, but people would meet us and just be like, oh, they're like socialized. They're capable <laughs> of having conversations with people and whatever. And seeing that was more than any kind of arguments or textbooks about theories of education. They were like that kid homeschooled and he's not a weirdo. I'm intrigued. Right. And I think making it a point to, to live in a way that like, ask yourself, if somebody just observed me, would they think that's a free person? Hmm. And if not, why not? What's the gunk that you can get out of the way? I, I, I mean, Harry Brown's book, How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World, which I know you've referenced, is really great at kind of bringing it to a personal level. But so I think bringing it down and saying, how can I live free? And then realizing that there's always people watching. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to get all like biblical here, but this is, there's another... Uh, scripture verse, it says, you know, be kind to essentially be kind to to strangers because you never know when you might be entertaining angels. I think the general thrust is like, you never know who's watching how you behave. And this idea of trying to convert the masses, the people who hate liberty into libertarians, I think is a very, it's a bad job. I think the real good job is uh, Albert J. Knott called it Isaiah's job. He has an essay called Isaiah's job. It's about the remnant, that there's this remnant out there you don't usually know who they are. You rarely get a chance to meet them, but they're listening. You don't always know that they're listening. They're paying attention. And I think the most, I'll end with this because I know we're getting on time, but I think the most powerful visual illustration or, or t- tangible illustration of this remnant idea, uh, a, a, a friend of mine, Larry Reed, who, who used to be the, the president of, of FEE, not the founder, Leonard Reed, but Larry Reed. In the 80s, late 80s, he went to uh, Poland. Well, it was communist and he smuggled in free market textbooks and he was doing all this stuff. He was working with the the Polish underground. And he was working with this couple. They'd been in prison several times. They ran a pirate radio station where they would just turn it on at different intervals and they would start broadcasting their free, you know, freedom friendly stuff, uh, obviously in violation of the, the communist government. And he said, how do you know if anybody's listening? And they said, well, for years, we never did. I said, but one night, we got on the radio and we said, 
hey, we're about to end this broadcast. But if you're listening, blink your lights. And they looked oh, wow. out the window and all of Warsaw was blinking. Wow. Literally all of Warsaw was blinking. And within a year, the communist government stepped down in Poland. Go look up what happened in Poland. They literally said, you people are ungovernable. They left. The, the underground had become bigger than the above ground. There was so many, the remnant, the silent majority was so fucking big. It was bigger than the official state people. <laughs> they were literally stealing paper. They were sneaking into the state printing factory and printing free market tracks on state material and distributing them because they had people on the inside helping them, right? Like you don't always know. So I think if you are constantly emanating freedom and, and living it and trying to be free yourself, you have no idea the impact. You have no idea how big the remnant is. And if you keep doing that and you keep being steady with that, there's going to be a day where all the lights are going to be blinking and you're going to realize we fucking won. We're bigger than them, you know? Oh, that was glorious. I needed a white pill, Isaac. Thank you so much, man. Um, we have got to do this again. I knew, I knew it would be a great conversation and I was not disappointed. So I hope you'll come back on. Hey, absolutely, Clint. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, where, where can people follow you? So I'm on Twitter, pretty active at Isaac Morehouse, uh, IsaacMorehouse.com. I also have books, podcasts, all kinds of stuff. Well, I will, uh, I'll keep all the, uh, the contact info in the description for this show so you can check him out. This guy is a real wheeler and dealer. He is, the, he is actually out there living freely and creating the freedom that we want to see in the world. So uh, thank you so much, Isaac. It was a bless. Thanks, Clint. Shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. World premiere. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go. The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe. Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening. Scared Hollywood left these lyrical fappening. A typo with Luke might bring the nooses. We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses. Freckles and Brit didn't know I could spit. Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm a shit. Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcast sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house No malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Allowable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky Smooth Tom was the only sound Getting so hot must be Eric July Screaming in the mic to rip a 59 Miles to Ray showed that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war but we're ready You know I be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show.